let's be honest, there's 29 NBA teams and then there's a G League roster with a few stars. They have a math problem offensively. Saturdays are the most fun day of the week. And with that, you get the most fun pod right here on the Athletic NBA show. It's called the Saturday Slam and Jam. You'll hear me, Andrew Schlecht, and my co-host Alex Spears break down the past week of NBA basketball, bring on a smart beat writer to give you the lowdown on their team, and then we have a trivia game, Andrew versus the beat, where I just try not to humiliate myself. So when you're raking your leaves, brewing your coffee, or just taking care of stuff around the house, listen to Saturday Slam and Jam right here on the Athletic NBA Show. Yeah, I think we're going to close on that one. I mean, we got to close on a. I mean, if Coach Thorpe is giving us a compliment, I want to plug. What do you got, Mo? I want to plug. Please plug it. Besides plugging my one Mo thing videos, I am doing a Twitch stream Monday through Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific times, where literally I just run through basketball games. Pick, I pick two games, I pick a game, I literally just make edits. I'm back to my video coordinator days. My hair's already disheveled at this point. Like it's it's we're back at this whole level, making edits and, and running through basketball stuff. And you know, come through on Twitch. It's the same as my Twitter handle. You'll you'll find it. And it's just fun. Just talking basketball, running through examples and things like that. So uh, think of it as a, a long one mode thing. So come through if you guys like Twitch stream Monday. Through Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Twitch stream Monday through Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Besides plugging my one more thing videos. Right in your right podcast, podcast space. Do you want to talk about it? Well, it's just there's this contract we're trying to locate. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Where the group that works like they do, the group that embraces some of our mantras we talk about getting better every day we talk about playing together when you do those things you end up on a stage like this for our city of milwaukee nba champions yeah it's big time this is nerder she wrote with your host dave dufour with mo tequila are you ready to be entertained They have a math problem offensively. Hello and welcome to the Athletic NBA Show. It's Friday and it's Nerder She Wrote. That music is recognizable at this point because they changed the uh, theme song. I'm Dave DeFore, joined as I am every single week by Seth and Moe, and as I used to be. By my coach, Coach Thorpe, and we're starting with Coach Thorpe. What's up, Coach? No tank top. We are we already hit you on it. No tank top because it's already cold and or at least colder in uh, Florida. But uh, welcome back. Thank you. No, that's not why it's no tank top. My wife forbade forbade, uh, forbade me a while ago from anything in public. I'm working out. That's it. I cannot embarrass the family anymore. <laughs> Now, I said that all year we're going to start with our favorite things. I'm going to start with my favorite thing, guys, and it is the competition committee coming out, doubling down and saying, you don't like it? I don't care. 
You don't love it, you better learn to deal with it because the new rules and the new style of play are here to stay. And I will tell you guys this. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been paying attention. And to the eye test, it does seem like the referees were wild the first 10 days and they're starting to rein it back in. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw Jimmy Butler had 17 free throws the other night. Luca had 12, I think. And I felt like they were all like, I would have given those free throws. I think that they're they're settling into a nice groove. The game is awesome. And I'm just really pumped that these guys did not get pushed over by players complaining. The players had to go ahead and start complaining about the ball. That's basically the same ball. It's great. I, I think this is, we normally see something like this every year. There's the, I wrote about this on Wednesday at The Athletic. There's, there's you know, normally the points of emphasis, points of education. Um, you know, we're really going to crack down on this. Usually the thing they're cracking down on is, okay, we're going to call travels. We're going to call moving screens. We're going to call three seconds. So there's more calls. And this is the first time I can remember where it's like, okay, we're cracking down and not calling things. And so even though that means that all like there's been far fewer free throws than, you know, we, we normally see, usually the, the start of the season is when we see the most free throws. Um, that's still kind of of a piece with, as you say, the refs kind of, reeling back in a little bit and probably the players having adjusted too. like you, it did not take long for you could to see guys like pump fake, get a guy up in the air, but not really jumping to him. And like, you can almost see the thought bubble of his head. I'm going to jump. I can't jump into him and then pass and do something else. So it didn't take players that long to start learning. And yeah, there were some, there's some pretty obvious like uncalled fouls that were foul fouls. Uh, and now maybe we're getting we're, we're getting a better balance to that, but but you know I agree with you, Dave. That that just Listen, saying no tough tough shit. Play basketball. I would rather an innocent man go free, or you know, like let's not jail innocent people, right? A guilty man going free. So don't call the foul. I'd rather fewer fouls get called. Call no fouls. Call your I own. I just wanted to make. I just want. Just wanted to yeah, make I know. I, to, I totally butchered that. The, I don't uh, care. The, the, I butchered it. I walked four miles before <laughs> we're doing the, this show, so I'm a little, uh, I'm a little sweaty. But I, I do think that the style of play is just so much more. It's more enjoyable. I can sit down and watch a game. I don't feel like I'm watching commercials or uh, replay or the fan cam or whatever the hell else they're trying to distract me with. That's not the ball moving up and down the court. And, and you know, I like that they're coming out and saying, "Hey, we got to fix the take foul. That's great." And they're going to do it next summer, I'm sure. The the solution already exists. They're doing it in the G League. They're doing it in FIBA. Like they, they know how to fix it. I I do wish that they would allow themselves to just change the rule now. But you know, we got to wait. All star break, maybe do at the all star break. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but when I was a young coach growing up, uh, if I, I worked ten weeks of camp every summer, I say goodbye to my then girlfriend, now wife, and um, and just work camps, and with some exceptions where they brought in, we had the ACC school officials that would work the five-star camps. And that was amazing because it was ref camp. And the ACC officials were supervising the referees, many of which were ended up, were, were on the track to being college referees themselves. That was the glory days. The rest of the time, we did it all day. If you weren't running a station or coaching your team, you refed. So I'm guessing I refed about 300,000 games. And one of my rules was, I'm not rewarding a bullshit play on the offense. I'm not rewarding it. You you played just to draw a little bit of contact. I'm not calling that because it, as I looked at it, and this is not the way the NBA should be built, I was just rewarding a bad habit for the offensive player. And, and I was in, these are high school kids. I wanted the, the guys to develop more intelligently than, than 
it would otherwise. And honestly, I kind of like that in the NBA too. It has to have an impact on a play that might score. And I'll say this, my first rule of defense, Thorpe's rule number one, do not foul. With, with some time and score context, do not foul. Because, and, and you guys know this very well, Seth, the, the math guy really knows it well. Guys tend to miss really well-contested shots from anywhere on the court. I'm telling you, when I first teach NBA players this, and they just tall, they wall up and tall up, and they think they're dead to rights, whereas they've always fouled in the past, and the seven-foot guy misses the three-footer. And I'm, after a week, they call me like, I can't believe they're missing these. I'm like, dude, they were missing before you were alive. Nothing's changed. Right. Just don't foul them. That's what they need. So I think to Seth's point, there is an adjustment on both ends. And to your point, Dave, I, I've really enjoyed the hell out of these games. I, I, I just think it's a cleaner game. There's a fine line. We don't want we don't want 70s, 80s, 90s bully ball. I don't want the New York Mets style baseball where there's fights all the time. That sucks. This is not wrestling. This is professional basketball. So we got to walk that line and let's make sure we do. Let's make sure we call the fouls we're supposed to call. But if you come up with some bullshit and you get touched, we ain't giving you that call. Quit doing the bullshit. I think the most important thing is we've given defenses a chance. Like, that's just the big thing. Like, at the end of the day, you know, the past couple of years, it's literally just been like, hey, all offense. And the game literally just turned into it. As much as I, I hate the cliche. Pinball. You turn it into pinball. Not even that. It literally did just become make or miss league in the sense of all that mattered was did you make shots or miss shots? Didn't matter how you defended. And so I think it's become a lot. Just giving the defense a chance has changed the games in themselves, has made them more competitive. We've had a lot. I don't know the numbers. This is just off eye tests and stuff, but a lot closer games, you know, in the first couple of weeks of the season than I can remember. And, and maybe that's just because I do a lot more of the breakdowns with those, but it's just something where I'm like, this is more fun and more enjoyable across. And this is where the shooting percentages being down is a multifaceted problem. Okay. Defenses are able to defend better. And I'm willing to even entertain the idea that guys are getting used to a new ball. Enough people are saying it. I don't want to just throw it out offhand or be dismissive. I mean, but I, I, I want to be in my heart. I'm not going to be. Do you have a Wilson ball? I don't. No, Wilson didn't send us one. Before the show, I, for no reason at all, I was just cleaning out my truck, and I, I do have some of the new Wilsons, and I have some regular old NBA balls, and we trained with them all summer. And uh, it's, it's a lot more similar than the old, the sticky ball that Steve Nash hated. Yeah. That was, uh, my small handed guys love that old sticky ball. No, no, no. I have, I have, I have small hands and that, like, the thing that Steve Nash was complaining about, like, one of my regular runs at the time used that ball. And, like, if the ball got a little bit wet, it got so tacky that the skin on my fingertips, like, split open. And so it's like, it's, it's imagine getting like every jump shot release. Imagine like if you're, if you, if you were getting your hair pulled, except it was on your fingertip every time you took a jump shot. It's like Spider Man shooting, that, shooting that, a ball. That feels a squid game type thing. That feels like something we'll see in I season guys, two. I love that ball. I'm just telling you, but this ball is a lot more like it. It's not a clone. Like you could feel it in my hands. I just did it, you know, 20 minutes ago. But uh, I don't think that's a great excuse. I think you, what you said initially, I think it's defense. And honestly, I will say this. I think fatigue is playing a factor, too, because there's not as much stoppages. I think these guys are just tired. You can see I, I'm seeing it 
I'm seeing it on defensive glass. I'm seeing opportunities for teams to crash the offensive boards. I think we're gonna we're gonna wind up if they don't if they stay on their ground. Please don't change. We are going to wind up with a sport that is actually basketball where, hey, you know what? Maybe we're going to crash the glass in this game because we've got a little bit of a size advantage instead of now every team in the league does the same thing. Put the shot up. We're all Doc Rivers. We're just going to get back on defense. I I think that things are going to change because of the fatigue factor, because of the lack of foul calls, and and teams are going to have to be smarter. We're going to see more 11, 12, 13-man rotations this year. Uh, than I think ever before. And more athletes can play too because they can use that athleticism and physicalness to make a difference on the court. I wanted to push a little bit on the offensive rebound stuff just because I think that was coming. It, it may be. Regardless. I felt like this was the the slowly slow trend coming back that was, you know, like it, it swung so far against crashing the boards. And then you saw kind of teams having success with that in the playoffs and being a copycat league. Cause I was going to bring this up to you guys. Yeah. You know, down the road with more stats. Was, Wait, Mo, have you listened to Ryan Pannone give this, give his lecture and clinics on this? I have not. You guys know who Ryan is. I mean, I know Ryan. Yeah, yeah. He's the head G league coach, of the Pelicans. He was my assistant for 14, 15 years. He would coach overseas all over the world. His, his story is quite incredible. And he coached with a guy, very, very famous guy that sent five guys to the glass every offensive possession. And and they, I mean, broke all sorts of records in offensive rebounds, did not get in transition because if you didn't go get a rebound, you just screened in the, your opponent so he couldn't race out. Right. And he has given a ton of clinics, and I'm telling you, he has spent a lot of time, talk, a lot of time talking to NBA coaches about this exact thing. Mo's exactly right. This was already coming because of people like Ryan who brought it from Europe to the NBA it wasn't the other way around. It's one of the many things we've taken from Europe intelligently. And so, and, but to to the point about the refereeing, well, if they're calling every touch, you can't take advantage of it nearly as much if you're a big right. physical beast of an athlete. And now we have that, which is great. It's not just skill guys anymore. Montrez is having a resurgence in part because he just out animals everybody. Right. This is his talent, which is nothing wrong with that. He fucking competes like it's a postseason game. Ironically, you can't play him in the postseason. That's all <laughs> <story>. <laughs> but he fucking works. It matters to him. He does. And I love that. I love that. I he actually take advantage of that. I, I don't want to get a sidetracked on Trez Harrell, but uh, his defense has been better this year. Um, and, and a lot of that, I think, is because he's allowed to use his body more. And this is good, man. It's good for the game. I, it's good for the league. OK, uh, enough of my favorite thing. Um Anybody want to go next? It's uh, what today is the uh, is is the fifth. So eleven days from now, my uh, book comes out. That's my favorite thing. And that's it's gonna, my favorite. It's going to continue to be my favorite thing for the next eleven days. So that's that's <laughs> no longer than that. Longer than the next eleven days. It need, we need folks. You need to get on Amazon Prime right now. That's right. Pre-order the book, Mid Range Theory. Jump on it right now. We need to get this on all the bestseller lists. Actually, all yes. of that stuff. Let's make this book number one when it when it comes go, out. Go I want work, Seth's folks. book, The Mid Range Theory, to be number one bestseller at least in basketball. I don't know if that's a subcategory, but how I about sports for a Let's day or two? Number one go. basketball book, number one coaching book. It didn't last long. Yeah, basketball is jazz, and the mid range is alive. I love that's, the your, that's the next book. That's Coach Thorpe and Seth Partnow's next collaboration. I've also had a lot of great three-point shooters. We better have a counter when they take it away. You can shot fake side dribble three, mm-hmm. but not against a good defender. I, like Damian Lillard learned last night against Jared Allen. 
you got the right guy on you. You can start take side roll all you want. You can't get it off. You better be able to attack. Now he was down three with seconds to go. But yeah, I love, I call it the second box. So from 15 feet to eight feet in, in the paint, that's my second box. Everything we do is based on getting the second box and read what's going on. So I can't wait to read your book. Okay. Coach, what's your favorite thing from the past week? I'm going to go with the Warriors defense. They, last year, they finished top two or three, depending on who you looked at. You would never think that. I, I know they have Draymond Green. But it's not like they have a, a bunch of good defenders, in, in theory, right? And uh, scheme matters. Coaching matters. Strategy matters. Execution matters. I've been saying it since I first joined ESPN. It's a coach's league. It's not just a player's league. And I thought Steve Kerr proved me right last year. He's proved me right a lot of times, to be honest with you. But they're doing it again. And look at their look at their team. I mean, I think Draymond leads their team of block shots with one, but they actually are decent in shot blocks. Uh, uh, I think Jordan Poole might be their top steals leader, but none of those guys are built. No, there's no Davion, Davion Mitchells as rookies on ball nightmares, but they're one of the tops in steals. I think they're four or five in steals created. But more than anything, they're they're four, they're they might be helped. They played a terrible schedule and. Guys, teams are shooting terribly against them. That may or may not be because of what they're doing. They're giving up a ton of threes, but they're not making a ton. I think that'll probably even out some. But they are defending. They're executing their well-thought-out strategy and making you beat them in ways that they're dictating more often than not, which is, to me, the whole name of the game on defense is make you do stuff you're not great at. Maybe you haven't practiced it much. And I think they're doing it better than anyone, given their roster. Did you guys catch Gary Payton? I mean, good Lord. Does he have a little bit of Bruce Brown potential for this team? Bruce Brown or Bruce Bowen? No, Bruce Brown. Like, could he be like the guard who's offensively the big for them? I don't think he has, I don't think he has quite the, the touch and feel. I think he's a, I think he's a better athlete and probably, probably a better, like, like a better perimeter defender, but I don't think he like Bruce, like I don't think he's ever going to be able got to that make that little floater. Yeah, and and also yeah. just kind of the ability to like play in the short role and kind of a way like that 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 like a good power forward could. And I don't I don't think I don't think uh, I don't think uh, Peyton has that. But defensively, he might be the guy that they can throw onto guards and wings, uh, smaller wings, but guards to to be like their point of attack guy in in crunch time when they need it. The poor man's Alex Caruso. But it gets tougher with Draymond not being able right. to shoot, right? You can survive with one bad shooter on the court. Um, at end of games, if you're going to be playing Draymond and, and it's a, you know, maybe Iguodala, maybe not, like whatever, but like just the number of shooters you have on the court and non-shooters, once you start getting to two or three, it becomes a problem. And I, the importance of it defensively, obviously, it's just a question of where you're at and what you're trying to do in those crunch time minutes if you're trying to come back from behind or or whatnot it just gets tougher in that sense i'm they've been playing great defensively i want to see if it sustains because i think that's the other thing that i have a question about because they still don't have a ton of great defenders they did it last year they were top three or top four last year in defense yeah but a lot of it also happened once you know with wiseman out and things like that once clay comes back again and you're trying to get him back in the fold he's not going to be moving as well as he did before so it's going to so that's there's there's going to be a drop at some point with some of that so let's see if it can kind of continue with everything that they're doing along those lines and once they get those guys back i i'm 
I love what they're doing. They're fun to watch. I'm still a little bit skeptical. Can they just? Can they also? Can, just gonna say, can they? Can they just like not play? Can they play? Is someone? it gonna be tenable? No, no. Is it gonna be tenable for them to just not play Wiseman? Just because he was, yeah, they have to, yeah, like the, like, like you can't just, you, you, I mean, just from an organizational standpoint, you can't just write off the second pick, right at right out of the gate in your second, second year. year. Looney's right. a very, very, very high level space defender that can guard wings. Weissman can't do either, probably yeah. for at least a year or two. I, I'm not expecting, I'm not expecting a ton of burn for Weissman. I'm thinking like he's going to get some eight. You know, like eight to ten, maybe twelve minutes, and you know, get a bunch of garbage time. Like, yeah, but that, if you're talking about a team's defense, those eight to ten, twelve minutes, you give up, you know, twenty three points in ten, ten minutes. More. That's gonna, that's, yeah, that, that's gonna, gonna chip worse, away yeah. at, at your at your defensive uh, overall. But he also needs to get more though. Like, if you're you, you've invested in this guy as your second pick mm-hmm. in his second year, who a guy who also hasn't played a lot of basketball over the years. We've we've we know it. Like if you're just going to play him 8 to 10 minutes, honestly just take him to the G League. Just just take the bite the bad bullet in the sense of uh the the press and and all the organizational crap you're going to get for that. But then you got to get him minutes where he's going to send him to the G League, send him to Santa Cruz, get him 30 minutes a night. Like that's just to get him up there. You guys got anything else or or do you want to talk about the rookie class? I have one thing. I am loving what Kyle Lowry is doing for the Miami Heat's offense. They're playing at a faster pace than they normally do. Not the fastest pace in the NBA or anything like that, but faster than faster than the way the Heat have normally played in, in years past. And it's all starting with he's getting two or three kick-ahead buckets for those guys where he gets a rebound and kicks it ahead, and it's usually Jimmy Butler running down the court after contesting a three, and they're just getting easy buckets. And and Something like just three or four easy layups a game. They're getting off of those things goes so far into just making your team so much better and building a lead, and you don't have to work as hard. Uh, rule of thumb that this is this just bring up. Someone brought it up on Twitter the other day. Rule of thumb, and I've studied this a number of different ways. Is every second earlier you get into your offense is worth a point of offensive rating, and it's not just the okay we get some layups out of it, but you give yourself you give yourself chances to get good early looks. You give yourself chances for a defender to fall asleep. You give yourself chances to get into some continuity and get to the, you know, the second, third side of an action to get to, you know, to get into your, your, your third, make, make the same defender defend the third different action on a play. Like, okay, he defended it twice and now his head's spinning and you hit him with the third thing and you get an open shot and you give yourself time to do that when you get something, when you get your first thing going with like 15 16 on the clock instead of you know running it all the way down to 11 and then trying to then you're basically you've your one action and playing against the clock completely agree i've been writing about yeah. this for a long time yeah are you struggling to close deals b2b selling is tougher than ever and that's why i want to tell you about linkedin sales navigator linkedin sales navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high value customers, drive higher revenue and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals and show you hidden allies so that you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you up to date first party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator 
and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash NBA show 23. That's linkedin.com slash NBA show 23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash NBA show 23 and get started. And, and I mean, to me, like one of the big difference makers, if you're a point guard, is to be in the habit of looking up. You know what I mean? Like, it's such a funny thing to say, but looking up, I mean, you know, you think about when Lonzo was coming into the league and how much we all just were gushing about his head ahead passes and, and the other guys. I mean, LeBron obviously has done that his whole career. Um, and he's just such a, it's low hanging fruit. And Kyle has been able to come in there and now those guys are looking for it. I, I mean, I even said this the other day. I was like, I'm actually really glad that I was so wrong about their offense. I hope this holds up because we knew the defense was going to be a motherfucker. Like we knew that. Um, but I didn't know that they were going to have uh, an offense with, you know, this sort of, the, these sorts of options. I mean, it helps that Tyler Hero looks better. Jimmy looks really, really good compared to how he, he looked uh, for parts of last season. Um yeah, man, I might have been. I don't know about way off on Miami. We'll see, but uh, I may have. I may have been lower on them than I definitely should have. And a lot of it is just these little changes. Go ahead. No, no team benefits from the new ref, the new rule calls, and the referees in Miami Heat foul early and often. Yeah. Also, like the the worry about the Heat was sustainability because they like you know the worry the worry is basically can they get to May with Kyle Lowry and Jimmy Butler. At full health, and we're we're recording this on November fourth. Just some, yeah, the breaks. Yeah, it's, like it's there's, the there's, breaks a lot, there's a lot that can happen between now and then. So yeah, that's yeah. like it's it's, it's it's a little yeah. too early to well that the thing that we thought was going to be a problem isn't a problem. I, we got to see more of it. Yes, I agree. All right, guys, I wanted to talk about the rookies. This rookie class is fun and good, and. As of like right now, I mean, you guys have seen Cade. What, he's played two games as of today. Um, and this this is the guy that I think everyone was waiting to see. And man, I haven't thought about Cade Cunningham outside of those two games since the season started because Evan Mobley looks so good, and Jalen Green looks so good, and Scotty Barnes looks so good. And I mean, is there a bad rookie? That's getting minutes. Yes, I mean. Oh yeah, Jalen I mean, yeah. Green's not good. <laughs> well, no, no, he's not good, but he's, he's got some <laughs> entertaining. He's doing so. There, there you go. Perfect. There you go. He's entertaining. There you go. I, I want to talk about Chris Duarte. Oh, perfect. Yes, perfect. I, I feel like he's going to engender a lot of draft mistakes in the future because the kind of the the, the oh, you draft an older guy, he's ready to step in. Generally speaking, no, no, they're not. They still have to learn how to play NBA basketball, but he's like stepped in and been seamlessly been a, you know, a perfectly serviceable NBA wing from, from day one, basically. And that's, that is uh, unusual. And, but it's going to convince a lot of people, see, we can take the old guy and it'll be fine. A really good 24 year old, Cam Johnson, too. A really good. Uh, and you got also, you can't, you can't take them because they dominated college players because they beat them up. Right, right. Duarte didn't beat anybody. I'm really to Cam Johnson or Carolina. So you, so you have to be smart about that. But um, I mean, I had Barnes and Mobley one and two in my draft. I had Mobley one, Barnes two uh, in terms of prospects. But a guy that I missed on 
uh, and I'm happy to say it, uh, I watched a ton of tape on Franz Wagner. I tend to like really physical, incredibly intense competitors. And I'm biased. I realize that now. And he did not show that on tape. I watched a lot of tape on him. And I wanted to like him. I watched him kick my son's team's ass, Florida State, in the Sweet 16. I'm like, I'm going to love this guy. But when I broke it down, I just saw so many plays where I thought, why did he pull up on that? Why didn't he go this? I just thought he was lacking something. He is not soft. And he's not one of the best four or five players. I've talked to the Magic coaches. They're thrilled with them. But I had Barnes and Mobley at the top two uh, because the game makes sense to them. When, when Seth just talked about learning how to play, and believe me, they need to learn how to play. But to me, it's easier to teach skills than it is teaching guys how to play because their ego gets in the way too often. Maybe Jalen Green figures it out, maybe, but he's all about the electricity, which he's got a lot of, let's, let's be fair. Is he really going to be willing to tone it down and play jazz? It took Zach Levine a long time to figure it out. And he's still, I, th- I think he's figured it out. I, well, he's got some bandmates now. That helps. Helps. I fell in love with Zach this, uh, this summer uh, with Team USA. But it took a while. And I don't know if Jalen going to figure it out or not. I think Barnes and Mobley just have to keep getting skilled and, in Mobley's case, stronger. Those guys really know how to play. And long and tall, athletic, their position. They play at a great pace. That You don't see that with rookies. That, that was the, yeah, the, no. the, the, the thing you said about Jalen Green. I thought that was a great point. When the, when the sort of the highest profile game at Summer League was was Pistons-Rockets, where, you know, Cade against, you know, one against two. And just the, the difference between the two of them, what the first thing they did when they caught the ball. First thing Cade did was like, you know, there's the, the expression, the ball has energy. Like you catch a swing pass from, the, from your right side, your instant motion is I'm going to reverse it keep going to the left because the ball kind of wants to move that way. And that every time Cade is like doing that. And every time Jalen green got the ball pounding it right away, looking to see like what, like, and, and just, you know, again, the, the, physical talent is there, whether that can be harnessed into something productive rather than something flashy is, is going to be the question. Well, he's still on the Rockets. Right. And a lot of these guys like Zach end up going somewhere else. Well, what was the point of the draft? It's, it might take five years. We'll see. He's got a lot to learn. And there's a lot of young guys, to your point, Dave, like there's a lot of young guys trying to learn the game with them. They are not a fun team to watch. I'll just say one thing. I do enjoy watching Alperin Shengun. For the the Rockets, and this is like a, obviously slightly a little bit of a deep cut, but just I like the idea of giving it to him on the elbow, giving it to him at the top of the three point line, and let him kind of be a little bit of a playmaker. Like he's got good passing instincts, and that's something like he, he, you can't teach that. Like we can, you can try. You guys can get better as playmakers and things like that. But he has a good kind of like the offense moves a little bit better, and it's Houston, so the offense isn't very good to begin with, but it moves a touch better when Shen Goon's in the game with that stuff and just kind of finding the flow. He's a little bit the way Seth was describing Cunningham. Like he's looking to move the ball next and unfortunately it lands into a play stopper, be it Jalen Green or, or Kevin Porter Jr. or something like that. But I like watching him do that. He has ways to go defensively, but as most rookies do. But like I've been impressed with him on that side of the ball just a little bit with the passing. You know, he had... DeAndre Jordan in isolation on the wing the other day in that game and just took him to the yeah. rim and just took him to the rack. Like, I mean, it was like he was, it was a turn style, style. which, uh, okay, it's DeAndre Jordan, you know. You see point guards the same way. He, oh, yeah. Today, Giddy. Giddy. Was, Giddy. Josh Giddy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, um, he, very, I mean, he's good. Yeah, he's good. He's big. Um, this whole class is, is 
is something. And, and coach, look, you're a little bit more plugged in on the development side than than we are. Like, is there a change in the last few years? Because it just seems like these guys are. I'm not going to say ready to play because that's not fair to anybody. But they they show these. It just feels like they're more mature players coming in than they were five years ago, even. Well, I'll say this, that in, in, in them growing up now, I, I just went through this with my son's only a sophomore in college now. So I went through the whole AAU thing and saw all of these talented players. There is a slow matriculation to, towards adopting. I'm, my son's been running NBA offenses since, since he was in sixth grade. And yes, we saw some AAU teams that just acted like they were, they all had James Harden on their team from the Rockets. But we also saw more teams that ran the kind of stuff, follow your pass, set the veer screen, set the go screen, uh, you know, make sure you're, you're time your cuts up, those kinds of things. Uh, play with pace with everyone, not just the one guy pushing it, but all five guys racing, or at least four racing. Um, I also think that, uh, that we, it's a little fool's gold. I think we get caught up in looking at their numbers Look at, look at their advanced metrics. They tend to suck. Most guys, that's why Barnes and Mobley are kind of so surprising. And Duarte is they don't suck. Uh, Green, last I looked at Green, and I know it's early to look at offensive you know, net rating, but it was minus 18. Now, their team is bad, but his, he's really bad. He's just flashy and very exciting, but also he made one, I guess, step back three against Davis everyone talked about. But when the game mattered, well, I guess the game mattered later too, early in the game, he was trying to take Davis one-on-one and I'm watching live thinking, what are you doing? Like that's Anthony Davis. He ends up after, you know, 84 dribbles taking a, you know, contested shot. Davis of course blocks it. Like at least know who you're going up against. Attack Reeves, maybe not Davis. Oh, I don't hate that coach. I look, I like it. He can take anybody. Yeah. You're, you're going to learn. I would say this when Kevin Durant was a rookie for Seattle, he was horrible. In year four was the first time they were better when he was on the court than off. They were worse for three straight years. And I always felt like his rookie year, P.J. Carlissimo, I think he felt like if I just let this kid eat all the candy in the candy store, he'll get so sick of freaking candy that he'll stop eating it. And now Durant is one of the most genius offensive players of all time, considering he's unguardable. But he also has amazing shot selection for a guy that almost can't take a bad shot. He's so disciplined. I think he learned that. So to your point, I get it. But there's not a lot of KDs out there, and none of them are at seven feet. Right. So I, I like to see a little more discipline from Jalen Green and all the rookies. To, to Coach's point, generally speaking, there's around there's about a one rookie a year who is a a genuinely positive contributor, like to a decent team. Like it, not not a guy. There, there's there's more than that who are not total anchors when they're on the floor, but an actual like. This guy is a good NBA player. There's usually only about one or two per year on a team that is, that is kind of a playoff level team. And so far this year, it is very early, but the interesting thing is to the extent we have kind of advanced stuff we can look at, there's actually, there's been four or five guys who have been kind of, you know, we, we've talked about, talked about Duarte. We talked about, uh, Scotty Barnes. Evan Mobley has been the best player on the Cavs. I think it's fair to say. Davion Mitchell probably is, has gotten a little overhyped, uh, just cause he had, a, he's had a couple of good offensive games, but he's like, he, he can do some things. So, I mean, Trey Murphy, Franz Wagner. 
Oh, well, I'm yeah. talking like talking about decent I mean, or better it, teams, the, so the Magic don't really qualify. Right now. Yeah, yeah, not on bad teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the Pacers look look rough. Uh, look, um, I, I'm glad that you brought up Davion Mitchell because Davion Mitchell and Evan Mobley to me are super unique because. I mean, and not so much on the offensive end for Mobley or for uh, Davion Mitchell, but Mobley's been good on both ends. But for those guys to be, I mean, I don't. Where do you even place those guys uh, as far as defender, like at their position? I mean, Davion Mitchell is already really damn good, like among point of attack. Mitchell's yeah. good on the ball. Right. He's right. little. Barnes is a hell of a defensive player right now. Oh, yeah. He's had a couple of moments where he's got a little excited like a puppy and try to get a steal when he shouldn't. But his his length, he's tolling up, making guys miss like he's 25 years old and he gets it, that they normally miss those shots. And then he can rebound and run. He's going to be an elite. He and Mobley both are going to be spectacular defensive players, which is why I rate him one and two, as I told Chad Ford, defense is 50% of the game. We keep forgetting that. Coaches don't, but the rest of us do. It's it's a huge aspect. It's half the game. And if you – listen, if you can be Damian Lillard and be one of the greatest offensive players ever – then your team can still be very, very good, even though you suck on defense. But who's, who does that? Right. I Give me a guy that can guard them and, that, and, and not just on the ball, but off the ball, which is really where the whole game is. On the ball is super important. Off the ball is equally as important. So uh, Mitchell's going to have his issues because he's tiny. But he'll be, a, he'll be a bulldog on the ball, and that's great. There's a role for that for sure. The, have you felt the same way, Mo? I mean, uh, like Mobley, uh, just I, I've been astounded watching him play defense. His feel is fantastic. Yeah, no, that's what happens when you go to the University of Southern California here and play for the Trojans. Here we go. Here we go. Listen, I, I, yeah. see, I think those Florida State guys know what to do. <laughs> this guy taught him a lot. He was terrible before he got to USC. You almost didn't give him a scholarship, I heard. Well, you know, you had to hit our standards. Um, <laughs> no, no, but like all kidding aside, like Mobley's IQ is on a level like defensively very high, like just seeing the, the, the attempts he's trying and stuff. And there's, it's like coach said, and I loved, he said it, it's, it's, these guys are like puppies. They still get very excited and stuff and, and they're going to be bad games. They're going to have nights where you're defensively, you're like, where are you at? But also, you know, just his instincts again, back to like, I'm fascinated by these dudes being able to pass. Like some of the reads he makes on the offensive end and some of the passes in the sense that lead to just fouls and they're simple stuff. It's making a good high, low pass. You know, which oddly enough is disappearing in the NBA game because we don't post as much. But just seeing that stuff and, and creating opportunities for teammates, everything about Mobley's game, I love. I'm excited to watch him kind of continue to grow. I, obviously, he's got to get a little stronger, and, and especially in the in the base area. But ultimately, like just on both ends of the court, just the IQ is so high. You're just you're. I'm confident he's going to be a good basketball player. The mid range theory. When you get it, when you get right, when you get paid a bunch of money to write a second book, it needs to be the art of passing, because I think it's by far the most unwritten aspect of our game. You show me a player and or a team that delivers on time, accurate. That's the big thing for me. I like the, I used to like the term hyper accurate. Show me the guy that delivers the hyper accurate pass at the right time, and he's leading guys to buckets. Whereas if you watch these these games, guys are catching all over the place, and these amazing players still score some. They'll score a lot more if you lead them the bucket. I don't just mean catch and shoot threes from the from the chest. I'm talking about in transition or when Mo talked about high low. Don't throw it to where he is. He's sealing a guy. Lead him so he can just hold it to the end, catch and score. Those passers are huge difference makers to a team, and I don't think it's seen and evaluated. And 
and valued nearly enough. We've lost the post-entry pass, just the the ability of, okay, this is a bad angle. Let me take one dribble over and throw the pass. Like, how many times have you guys seen a game where somebody's trying to post up and they literally just throw the worst pass? You're giving me flashbacks just, to Philly in the playoff. Oh, no, I mean, that's that's exactly who we're always thinking for the most part. But it's just like, I'm just sitting, I've done breakdowns on my Twitch stream where I'm like, seriously, guys, just one more dribble over, and that's a dunk. Instead, you try to make the pass from this angle, and it's a turnover. It's just that simple. See, this is the thing that makes Jokic so special, right? Is that Jokic is actually, he's not only leading those guys, passing them open. I think Jokic takes those guys places they don't know they need to go. For sure. Right? Like, there are times where you will watch a guy who is clearly slowing down to stop his cut, and Jokic is going to just throw the pass where it needs to go. And that's why he is – I mean, that's why that offense is able to do what it's able to do even when they're hurting and and missing guards and stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, I'd love to read that book, Seth. (laughs) Uh, November 16th. Uh, Speaking of of Jokic, just – I think he's probably made the – the pass of the season, and it was is from it was from second game of the season or so. Is that what, it, yeah, well, he just oh, yeah, he, that, he, yeah. He, 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 he I don't, he if you haven't seen the clip, you should find it. He basically throws like almost a blind highlight pass that's on a line that like buzzes the eyebrows of a defender before like hitting hitting Michael Porter uh, Jr. in the corner, and like the sound the crowd makes as this ball is in the air is just like ooh. Because it's just there's, there's just there, there's nothing there. There's no opening. It's but it's but it's a it was a knuckle that hits by Porter Jr. in the chest, and he's so surprised by it that he actually hesitates before shooting, which you know never does. In the last five or six years, we've seen a lot of these plays where guy drives. Normally, it's it's um, over. I call it a straight line drive over the block, but tend to be a little bit farther to the right or left, so a little bit underneath the block area, more towards the baseline. He, he's put in jail by the big or the bigs or his own guy who's tall. And he, he kind of flows underneath the rim and then fires some kind of pass out either to the opposite elbow. Last night I saw a couple guys back to the top. We see this every game now. This, I don't remember ever, Magic Johnson is the best passer of all time in my mind. I don't ever remember him doing that. Uh, if, if he did, it was once. This, this is every night, every quarter teams are doing this. Am I wrong? Am I not remembering things and you do remember it? I don't remember this either. It, it's like the, the inside out game is now from penetration, not from post entry. Right. And, and I think this start, I mean, if you, if you wanted to follow the evolution and I'm just off the top of my head, kind of riffing, but the, the Steve Nash underneath dribble is probably the thing that got us from the post entry kickout to where we are now, where it's this dribble drive kickout. But it, it, the three ball being so important and, and you guys, Mo and Seth, I mean, you guys work for teams, so you probably know this stuff better than I do for sure. But it feels like that pass just didn't exist before because there wasn't a guy there. Well, there's another thing that's going on here, too. And I got to give Mo a shout out for one more one more thing this week. He, one more he talked thing. about you talked about baseline drive, baseline drift. That's like basic, you know, in, NBA spacing. If a, you're, if a guy's driving baseline and you're on the opposite wing, you space to the corner. 
defenses know that now. So they're shifting down. So the player takes the player now takes that one more dribble in. And now there's that kind of that, that inside angle to throw the pass you're talking about where, you know, that like the guy who is, is sprinting, you're almost throwing this bullet pass behind the guy who's sprinting to cover the corner. And that's the one that hits the guy in like the opposite slot that you're talking about. But remember this too. We were all taught again. I'm, I, I was playing basketball late seventies and early eighties in high school. Uh, you didn't leave your feet to make a pass. That was the oh, rule. I don't, I don't yeah. teach that because you couldn't yeah. do any of these things if you followed that rule. Tell me the last time an NBA player threw a pass without jumping. I can't think of one off the top of my head. I mean, it, it really, uh, these guys leave their feet and they make the decision in the midair. And I wonder if that's going to come down with the whistles because that's part of this, right? Is those guys trying to get up to get the whistle. Like they've been doing that whistle training. You, uh, Coach, I know you know. Um, and I, that's going away. I, something I noticed was a little bit more turnovers on these, uh, jump in the air and look for somebody to pass to. There's a big difference though. And I think what it is, is there are guys who jump with a plan and there are guys who jump cause they're in trouble. And the ones who jump into trouble are the ones that tend to turn the ball over, tend to find uh, a tough instance. At least even when you're jumping, you have an idea of like where I'm going with it. And the only way I can make this pass is if I jump. And Steph totally stole my line there on on what uh, Coach Thorpe was saying because it's a definite <laughs> direct uh, correlation. As as defenses have gotten smarter, the offense has evolved. It's the way our uh, favorite character from Jurassic Park, Jeff Goldblum, has said. You know, Mother Nature always finds a way. It was just evolution. Basketball finds. You know a who way. found the. You know right. who. Uh, just just talking about this. You know who the first player I can really remember doing this a lot was is Manu. Like you can just see him like driving left and like yeah. hanging out of bounds to create an angle either to the corner or to the opposite slot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was the hammer just up top, right? It's the same. It's the same exact. Uh, you know, uh, mechanics. Uh, I would. I would imagine. Any parting shots as we go? I got one. Perfect. I just want to say thank you to you guys. Um, it, you're, you guys really honor the game in all the best ways. And I think I think there's a, a good amount of us that they care about the game uh, and and not just our reporters, but our people who actually coached and taught or analyzed it. And um, we need to keep fighting the good fight because uh, our my children's generation – uh, needs to learn from guys like you and, and read guys like you and, and women like you. We need to get more women doing it too. So I just want to say thank you for being who you are. Thank you, Coach. Cool. That was, I don't know how to respond, but thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think we're going to close on that one. I mean, we got to close on a – I mean, if Coach Thorpe has given us a compliment. I want to plug – What do you got? I want to plug just just along those Please lines. I'm, I'm – Do it. Besides plugging my One Mo Thing videos, I am doing a Twitch stream Monday through Friday – at 11 a.m. Pacific times, where literally I just run through basketball games. I pick, I pick two games. I pick a game. I literally just make edits. I'm back to my video coordinator days. That's my hair's already disheveled at this point. Like it's, it's we're back at this whole level, making edits and and running through basketball stuff. And you know, come through on Twitch. It's the same as my Twitter handle. You'll you'll find it, and it's just fun, just talking basketball, running through examples and things like that. So, uh, think of it as a a long one mo thing. So, come through if you guys yeah, like. The Twitch streams have been awesome, Mo, and, and the one mo thing. Like, it's funny because I've told Mo to, hey, let me know when the one mo thing comes out, and then I just happened to see it, and I was just watching it the other day. Like, it just was on my feed, and I was like. 
Oh yeah, this I, I should share this. This is really good. <laughs> uh, Seth, you got anything? Uh, November sixteenth. Pre-order. <laughs> Mid-range right. theory. You're Mid-range whispering. Theory. Um, Shout it out. Um, There's uh, actually no, if you excited. if you you can actually uh, I, I discovered uh, today that that. Uh, if you go on Amazon and you want like a, a preview of it, the uh, the both the Ford uh, that Tim Bontemps was kind enough to write, and the first chapter is kind of available. I think part of the first chapter is available if you want to get just a taste of of of, of what the book's about. And I think that. In the next couple of weeks, I think there will be an excerpt or two showing up on uh, The Athletic and maybe one more place. Make sure you contact Hoops Hype. They'll do one, too. There you go. We'll, 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 we'll make sure that happens. Um, okay, Coach, thanks for thanks for hanging out. Um, hopefully it's not as long as we just had between appearances and, and we can make this uh, happen a little bit more regularly. Uh, for Seth and for Mo, I'm Dave. And we'll be back next week on The Athletic NBA Show.